Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Sitcom Club. Joining myself, Gary, is... Mr. Tiltalisa. However, we are joined once more on the Sitcom Club this time by, all the way from Wellington, which is of course New Zealand, but you already knew that, by Birdie. Kia ora. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, thank you. This is what you would call an inter-time zone podcast because there's actually this is like bruce Forsyth's big night out where he's explaining networking as if it's the very first time it's ever happened this is the fourth of our examinations of class and like all the others it's intercontinental and inter time zone so there. i still can't quite get my head around the fact that the two of you are in different days you see sometimes i want to recommend this podcast to people something came up the other day and i was trying to send a link and I listened in the first eight minutes of our discussion about the Ropers is our discussing anything other than the Ropers. Well, maybe that says more about the Ropers than it does about ourselves. But anyway, in order to help me cope with this confusion, I've now decided simply that Birdie is in the future until you're in the past. So there we go. And I'm the present, of course. So that makes me Edward Woodward, doesn't it? I don't think anyone normally says that New Zealand is in the future. It's normally we're in the past, like 1953 or something. I'd like to go back to 1953, and if it really is, if it really is like 1953, I'm there. I'm halfway on EasyJet as it is right now. This is, as Tilt correctly points out, this is the fourth and final part of our discussion on class. And in all honesty, it is our own fault, because if we'd been normal, then we would have just said there's three classes, as there are, upper, middle, and working. But for some reason, we decided that there was this weird one called was it business class or something? So that's how we ended up. class. Okay, so that's how we ended up doing Trouble in Mind. Well, hey, so <laughs> finally we get was to... Was the weather handled in sitcoms? It was, that was a reason for splitting up the middle classes into two, was that you can kind of say that sitcoms broadly treat the working class in a general kind of way. It's not like every sitcom treats them in the same way, but there is enough of a broad trend that you can sort of put them under a particular canopy. When it comes to the upper and lower middle classes then things start to get a bit tricky. And that's the big divide in portrayals in sitcom. Trouble in Mind and Terry and June are different worlds. And when it comes to the upper class, oh God, where the hell are they? We had a meeting about this. Oh, so all we do is find three sitcoms that are essentially based around the upper classes. Wasn't easy. No. And the highlight of that meeting was... When we're about an hour and a half into it and we're pouring through the very fine Radio Times Guide to Comedy and struggling, and I think we're doing like fine searches for upper and so on by this point, I said, we, we have remembered To the Man of Born, haven't we? When we came up with this idea, the, I think the page that said To the Man of Born was going to be one of these sitcoms, I think that that RTF file has been in Dropbox for about a year and a half. But for some reason, I thought that we might actually have overlooked it. You see, there was a reason that we didn't do Yurangma Lord, which is that's all the classes. Oh, that's upstairs, downstairs as a sitcom. So there's too much focus below stairs, and they're possibly our identification characters. We wanted something, not in fact that other classes didn't appear, but was centred on the upper classes. Okay, so what we ended up with, in effect, were... Okay, well, to the Manor Born, obviously. Till you found one which has no real right to exist, really, because clearly it was meant to be put through the mass BBC eraser, but supposedly two episodes snuck out. Is this right? Yes, the world of Worcester. I'm wondering if one of the ones that exists only exists because of Frank Muir. 
Frank Muir went to see P.G. Woodhouse and took a telerecording of an episode of The World of Worcester with him. I think Woodhouse was diplomatic, but from what I've heard, he didn't think it was a very good show. Well, we'll come on to that. And our final choice was... That was your reaction. That was my reaction as well. Bertie, you couldn't get enough of it. I sent you one episode (laughs) of this and you asked for more. Well, I have a reason for that, which I will explain later. Is it Ronnie Stevens? Who's Ronnie Stevens? That's a that's a name. Ronnie Stevens, he was the health inspector. And whenever I see him in something, it's like, yeah, Ronnie Stevens. <laughs> I didn't know his name, but yeah, um, no, it wasn't because of him. No, I'll ex- I will explain later. Okay. What are we talking about, Till, first of all? Well, let's get a gentleman's club done, first of all, because I think <laughs> that's the one that you and I have the least to say about. So give us your reason for finding a gentleman's club so fascinating. It's not that it was fascinating. Okay, so... I watched it with an open mind, and yes, you said the first episode, and obviously everything was really heavy-handed and signposted, and it was lots of telling and not showing, and all those bad things. There's some good actors in it, apart from the uh, the woman um, who was playing the um, assistant secretary. The woman? No, he, I think that was really her her essential role. She was the woman. Well, you see, because the episode was called the new boy, I thought when she came on, I thought, oh, so that's what it's about. She's the new boy, and I thought, okay, so it's going to stir things up a little bit having her on board. And then we had the new member come in, and I thought, oh, okay. I thought that there was going to be some kind of story arc, and I was thinking of situation comedy. I thought that the situation was going to be a new guy come in, stirs everything up, turns everything upside down. So I thought it was going to be a story arc. Hence, I wanted to see the second episode because I thought that's what was going to happen. But as it turned out, they uh, discrete um, episodes. So it wasn't because it was funny because, um, you know, clearly it wasn't. But I was interested in the story itself, and I thought something was going to happen. So that's why I wanted to see the uh, other episodes. And the third one actually got better, I have to say. It wasn't very funny, though. It did highlight one aspect of the way the ruling classes are portrayed in things, and I presume it's based in truth. The infantilization. Mm-hmm. Gentlemen's Club felt like a big boy school. Yeah, that, exactly. With the menu and stuff like that, they actually enjoyed having, you know, Wednesday was steak and kidney and all that sort of thing. Um one of the interesting things was, uh, you know, they couldn't talk. Now, obviously, I've seen three episodes, so I can't remember this in the first one. But this idea of not being able to talk business in the club and all those sorts of things. You know, money was a bit vulgar, all those sorts of things. So I would have watched more because it was, it was very gentle. And I kind of got interested in the characters, though. But I don't think it was, it, it's hard to picture it as a comedy. You know, there were funny moments in it, but it wasn't laugh out loud. But I am right, aren't I, that the, the Richard Gordon is the same Richard Gordon who wrote the Doctor series, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. But strangely enough, he didn't he didn't write the sitcom episodes. They they were adapted from his books. The only Doctor series that he wrote actually wasn't a success, which was one a few years later called Doctor's Daughters. Because this is eighty eight, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. It's felt very old. This is around about the same time as we had a bit of a do on ITV and things seem to be sort of going in the direction of no audience. Mm-hmm. And it's a bit more subtle and might not be to everyone's taste and so on. I mean, yeah, it's not laugh out loud. I don't think it's intended to be like that. But it was quite stodgy. It took its time to get anywhere. It wasn't a subtle plot. That was the thing. The kitchens were so ridiculously grubby and filthy. As for the toilets, my lord. We saw a lot of the toilets. Believe me, in episodes two and three, you saw a lot of the toilets. (laughs) 
and the dripping sands. Oh my God, men's urinals. Actually, you do see a lot of urinals in drama these days, don't you? That's where men do business, don't they? Urinals and strip clubs. I think it was just, it was the, the first episode was just quite heavy handed. And it was like, oh, here are characters. You could have spent a bit of time um, letting the characters evolve a bit, I guess, rather than just pushing them in our faces like, like they were. But I didn't hate it. <laughs> it just fell between two stools. It's like, right, there's no audience, so it's something a little bit different. This is going to be more subtle. And initially, there aren't any big bank crash jokes, but there's bank crash characterization and kind of a bank crash plot. Ronnie Stevens being officious in a kitchen that's disgusting and filthy and has a family of cats living in it feral that's something that seems to need a studio audience and a bit more oh that's all i need my cousin alf kind of acting i did try to imagine it with a, a laughter track i thought oh where would the where would i put the laughter in and i could see where i would do it but i thought i don't think it would add to it it just reminded me of um oh what was that program george cole don't forget to write that sort of quietness where you're not really sure if it is if it's funny or not i also just found two main characters unpleasant in a non-compelling way how can you find william gaunt unpleasant that face it's awesome uh well some of the slurs he uses he thinks that the new guy the new member is gay but this was 1988 um, yeah but he doesn't like just go oh gay he actually at one point doesn't he call him a flaming puff he uses the word puff yes he does yes yep. but in a in a sort of venomous way and they're also nasty to christopher benjamin's character willie the german guy Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, I know he was there as well. He's the kind you get. He's rich and he hasn't learned the rules. But it did feel a bit just kind of queasy. It's like nobody's willing to guide him. They they kind of like having him there. Nobody's going to tell him what the rules are because they want him to break the, the rules so they can feel better. Yeah, you're right, actually. Am I reading too much into it or was the German guy, in, in as much as he was sort of token foreigner in the the club i was getting sort of vibes of robert maxwell yes because richard vernon's character had been on tv and said you were on my tv channel oh i missed that isn't this the point though is it's not as if there is even specific prejudice there the two of them gone and and vernon their characters are just prejudiced as a rule it's just a bunch of jerks not being funny we haven't even mentioned the new member that's where there is a little bit of a story up because in the third episode, no, sorry, the second episode, Robin Bailey's character plays a genteel actor on the verge of bankruptcy and Willie bails him out and William Gaunt's character is in the bathroom so they don't know that, you know, he's out of the loop and then he comes out and um, it's clear later on that he started to change his mind about Willie. He's a good sort, but they also deal with uh, racism as well, letting, um, they've got an African <laughs> African prince. <laughs> it's, it's terrible that episode actually. It's not a very nice place. Yeah, so there is a little bit of development with that relationship with Willie. Oh, I wish I could see episode four now. I'll sort you out of episode four. Don't worry about that. <laughs> you sound like a drug dealer. <laughs> There's some really good actors in it in the program, though. Solid actors um, that you know. Well, you probably don't know all their names as well. I just know their faces. So it must have had a bit of uh, clout behind it, but obviously didn't hit the mark. Am I right in thinking that Richard Vernon is made to look slightly younger than he was? How would you do that? Well, I think they've actually given them extra hair, haven't they? I think that's maybe make him look a bit more art house than normal, what with him being a novelist. See, the hair thing, it went, in the second episode, Robin Bailey's playing an actor. He's got grey hair. One of the things said against him is that he dyes his hair. I thought, well, clearly he doesn't dye his hair. He's, <laughs> he's got grey hair. 
He was great in it. You should have watched this second episode. He was really good. Ironically, we're talking about how prejudiced the characters are in the show, and yet our prejudice towards the show has prevented us from watching any more episodes. Our prejudice towards the show because it's rubbish. <laughs> but look, it's interesting in the third one when they're basically saying, we don't want to let women in the club, but we don't want to let blacks, or we don't want to let probably actually uh, anybody of a different race into the club. And they can't say the words. And they keep going, uh, 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 uh. you look at things about love thy neighbour, stuff like that. And this was dealing with racism in a different way. It's that establishment thing where nobody actually says they're racist, but, you know, all it needs to take is one person to put the black ball in the compartment and you're out. It could have been dealt with very well, actually. There's a good single-camera 50-minute show stuck in this half-hour VT thing. Yeah. It's not just a matter of the way it looks. I I just think maybe the pacing ends up all wrong as well. Weirdly, even though single-camera allows you to cut quicker... I don't know. It's a slow and talky show, and VT should suit slow and talky, but it doesn't. So I think maybe it just needs to look a bit nicer as well. Maybe certain distancing effects you get from really nice photography, and just have the kitchens be a little run down. Yeah. Ronnie Stevens had come in from a different show, and somebody should have said something. I didn't like it, but it's not a fundamental problem that it wasn't worth doing. It just needed doing completely differently. Right, here's an idea. (laughs) So when you're in the club itself, it's film and there's no audience and and single camera and so on. When Ronnie Stevens is in the kitchen, he has audience laughter with from its three walls, its feet. Well, I tell you, let's just replace him with Colin Bennett. (laughs) Colin Bennett. Wait a second. Tony Hart. That's, yes, yes. Oh, oh, yeah, that'll work. Oh, yeah. Canned laughter. Lots of incidental music. Perhaps that's what was missing. Needed a something going in the background. But um, I just unfortunately the uh, the only real woman in it, that assistant secretary, she was just such a bad actress. She was dreadful. She ruined it for me. Don't know who she was. I'm a vicar's daughter. Oh God, shut up. I can't necessarily agree in this instance, but there is one that you just reminded me of it because there's one show where there's a woman who plays a vicar's wife. And I won't say what it is. I won't say what show it is. But yeah, she's really bad. Till, how do you think this compares with something like the Nineteen Fall? Because I'm actually getting sort of yes. vibes just now with the whole business about um, Muirfield Golf Club, and they've just voted to not allow women Best in. Best so privilege. On. Which is a better approach? Is it a fair way of even phrasing the question? At least the Nineteenth Hole knows what it wants to be. Whether it fails or succeeds, that's one thing. A gentleman's club. You're not entirely sure what you've just watched. Am I too clever for this or too stupid? I can't tell. Just let me know why I don't like it. You know, I'm glad that the, a gentleman's club exists. I'm glad this, you know, there are types that exist of it. I don't think it should be banished from the canon. So, moving on to show number two. Tilt, this is a show which... Is my choice, yes. I thought it was I wasn't going to say that. No, I wasn't going to say that. I actually quite enjoyed it. Oh, bit expensive. <laughs> Tell us about, about the background to this. It seems like such a simple idea. Take the work of P.G. Woodhouse, take his most famous characters, and make it a straightforward British half-hour television sitcom. Remember when we did Map and Lucia on Sitcom Club? It was kind of the same thinking. It's like these are comedic situations, the literary roots of situation comedy. And I don't think this quite worked. And it was similar in a way to Gentleman's Club. The pace was just kind of off. The only thing is, is I found World of Worcester way too fast. 
That might partially be because there seem to be two stories stitched together. The original short story about Claude and Eustace doesn't have the visiting uh, psychiatric consultant, whatever his job was, the whole thing of cats running around and the stolen hats. This is available to watch on YouTube, by the way, at least at the time we're speaking, so... We were a little slack. Sometimes we just generally leave out any plot description because a lot of the stuff we talk about is out there if you know where to look for it. But I think in this, we're fairly safe not giving a blow-by-blow account. So, I don't know. I was really expecting to enjoy it. And I didn't. Maybe it was my expectations that were at fault. And the one thing P.G. Woodhouse did feel comfortable in saying to Frank Muir as a criticism is that Ian Carmichael was way, way too old to play Bertie Wooster. Mm. So how old was Ian Carmichael at this point? 46. Bertie Wooster is 24. Ah. It's something versions of the character have frequently lost, even to a certain extent the Fry and Laurie thing, is that a lot of the reasons Bertie does these stupid things is not because he's stupid, he's just a bit naive and a bit unworldly. Bertie is not an idiot. One of the things that we lose in this and the Fry and Laurie series is Bertie's narration and the thoughts, his inner workings of his mind. He's naive. In the Claude Neusser story, he is described as being thought of as half-witted by a chunk of his family, but he is also perceptive. There's a nice little bit where he describes ants arguing with each other as being like bellowing mastodons across a primeval swamp. So are we saying in this that Bertie is supposed to be roughly the same age as the, the two young ones? Who yeah, he's only a few problems? years older than them. They've just been expelled from university. They've been, they've been sent down from Oxford. And because he is in his mid-twenties, he's meant to be some sort of steadying influence on them. So you didn't know this, Gary? I wasn't aware that he was supposed to be mid-twenties, no. I thought that he was... I was getting more sort of vibes of, say, Hugh Laurie and Blackadder the Third. I was sort of thinking he was going to be around sort of 40-ish in this. But I'm just showing my ignorance here, aren't I? It's a different show, isn't it, when you think of it in those terms? I suppose so, yes, yes. But doesn't that mean that the butler was more sort of fallow figure then to, to Wooster, to an extent? Because the butler's supposed to be, what, what is it, in his 40s, isn't he? I didn't think to look how old Dennis Price was, did I? Oh. Well, whilst you researched that, Birdie, Hello. what were your thoughts? Oh, uh, well, you know, it's black and white. I like Dennis Price, I guess, but I've never read any PG Woodhouse. I remember Jeez and Worcester. I think it was just, every seemed like um, a silly ass, didn't they? I really didn't have much to say about it. It was very fast, though. I agree with you on that. The pacing was very, very, very fast. And it was a bit hard to keep up. Maybe it should have been a 50-minute kind of thing. By the way, Dennis Price was only five years older than Ian Carmichael. It's lovely, though, when you see things like the um, old banknotes, though, isn't it? Those massive, <laughs> massive banknotes that you have to fold up and things like that. And um, when was that made, anyway? Was it 1970-something or 60 or...? It's 66. That show ran from 65 to 67, and that's in the middle. I just Part of me was thinking maybe one of the reasons you don't get many upper-class sitcoms is some of this is hard to sell to some of the audience because they're off having a good time doing irresponsible things. Because they can, because they're rich enough, because they're well-connected enough. Some of the audience must have been feeling boiling resentment. And I think with a slicker production, with something else happening, you could have actually pushed that across again with a younger Bertie. So dramas are okay because we can show them having the same problems as other people do. That 
It's just upper class sitcoms that don't work. I've watched Flying Laurie's Jeeves and Worcester. They managed to sell the idea to me. In this, I just... It wasn't so much I found myself thinking that I didn't like them. I thought, I bet some people are really deeply annoyed by this. Another thing, though, of course, is that even at 24, he's kind of behaving like a teenager. If we accept him as 24 rather than 46, it does tie in with... uh, I'm trying to find something to say about the way the upper classes are dealt with. We still got a little bit of that infantilism then. So, yes, he has to have his butler who is either a father figure or a big brother figure to look after him. I was just trying to think of stereotypes of the upper classes and there is that, oh, nanny's hands. There's an Avengers in which they're all switched back by evil nannies into their childhood states. (laughs) That idea that the country is ruled by people who are scared of their nannies. (laughs) I mean, what's Jeeves' deal here? That's exactly what I was just going to say there. I'm going to make another allusion to Blackout of the Fur here and say that for as much as we've got Prince of Wales arsing about, we've got Blackadder's side of the story. Now, do we need to see more of Jeeves here, do you think? There's got to be real affection between Jeeves and Worcester. I don't think Jeeves is resentful because there are plenty of times, I mean, even in this, well, every single story, there are times when Jeeves can leave Bertie to twist in the wind and doesn't. It's not like I really want some big, deep Freudian analysis of the relationship between Jeeves and Worcester, but there is a certain extent I think Jeeves might quite like the idea of being able to guide this young fool into being less young and not a fool at all. But then there is that thing, Jeeves does kind of keep screwing up Bertie's engagement. So the times when Bertie does want to be engaged, it seems like the girls that he Bertie gets engaged to want to have Jeeves fired. Yeah, maybe we should have watched Upstairs, Downstairs. Could have talked a lot more about Hudson than I can about Jeeves. I just had a thought, but I don't know that it necessarily improves the show. Well, improves is not quite the right word. It takes it in a different direction. What if the relationship between Jeeves and Wooster was portrayed in the same way as Ted and Ralph from the fast <laughs> show? This is one man's work. There is a canon here to be dealt with. You only really want to be drawing from it what is... I'm not into death of the author. You've got to at least have some connection with Woodhouse. Right, okay, hang on a minute. Bertie Worcester's initials are BW. He's dependent on his manservant. How about... It's Bruce Wayne, yeah. Yeah, he dresses up as a bat. No, I'm just... They they used to do these comics called Elseworlds. It's like, oh, what if Batman was this? What if, you know, what if he was back in the past? What if he was in the future? They really should have done the code of the Waynes. They should have done... (laughs) Bruce Wayne is a stupid young man who's got this idea into his head of dressing as a bat. (laughs) Damn sight better than Batman versus Superman. I do like the cereal. Mm, Chocolate strawberry. Hang on. Chocolate and strawberry Yeah, it works, weirdly enough. Sounds quaint. Buddy, in 2016... If I said to yourself, I want to cast a new adaptation of Jeeves and Wooster, and it's a proper adaptation, it's not, it's not my horrible Ted and Ralph idea, it's going to be faithful to the original, who are you going to cast in the roles? Um, so who's on the up? Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh, get stuffed! Well, I'm just, oh, your lack of imagination. He's, he's, no, he's, he's to the fore, he's everywhere, isn't he? Martin Freeman, yes. you could cast as Jeeves. You could, and you probably you could cast Tom Hiddleston as uh, Jeeves. Jeeves is the easy one to cast, actually. Or oh, that other chap, that um, non-comedic chap, um, I can't stand. He's in Homeland, Damien Thingy. Oh, you know the one. Can't stand him. You could cast him. 
He can make Jeeves. But Bertie, he might have to be an unknown, eh? If he's going to be playing a 24-year-old. Russell Brand. What? In what way have we avoided the Ian Carmichael problem? How do we avoid the problem of somebody in their 40s being cast as somebody in their 20s? Let's get somebody else in their 40s. Bravo! Well, no, it wasn't so much to solve that problem. It was that I was being provocative. Yeah, this is boring. Let's talk about something else. Have we liquidised World of Worcester? Yep. It was a good idea, and I think it's maybe worth doing again sometime, taking a literary source and mounting it as a half-hour sitcom. It just didn't happen here. Maybe it's the fact that they blended two stories. Maybe they thought that Claude and Eustace all by itself over half an hour would be too stretched. I know it's, it runs for 33 minutes, the copy we saw, but then we looked in the Radio Times and it was scheduled for half an hour, so maybe there's a cranking speed problem. <laughs> All right, one final recasting suggestion, by the way. As Jeeves, Patrick Cargill. Wow. Where the butler is as posh as, as, posh as the young man. Yep, that could work. That's a solid idea. But he's dead. To be honest, if we had a time machine, I quite like to see Patrick Cargill play both parts in two different time periods. Yes. <laughs> He's a man who just looks so good in a silk dressing gown. Yes. Our further and final outing to the world of the upper class. This is obviously our top choice. And to be fair, we could have just done all the series of this and maybe the radio version with Keith Barron and what have you as well. To the man of Bourne. Yeah, this is a bit of an oddity because you're saying to a little bit how different sitcoms portraying the upper class. To, is there really a connection with the public? Do they really get it and so on? And this is a very, very upper class sitcom. And yet it was hugely popular. Now, I know that they often cite the viewing figures and, and how it had like half the population. And there was a little pinch of salt you got to take with that because part of that was during the ITV strike. Nonetheless, there's no doubt about it. It was very, very popular. Well... There is a difference between To the Manor Born and the other two shows we watched. The central character is a woman. So the whole, ooh, nanny's hands problem doesn't really rear its head. And you can also kind of be on her side as a woman in a man's world. You see, there's only so much of her privilege that has to be checked. And of course, she's spotted. just found herself without a lot of the privilege that she was used to, given the circumstances in which she's no longer whatever it was that she is. Lord and Lady of the Manor or something. What is it? Uh, she's not titled, is she? She just lived in a big house that was owned by her husband, who, yes, her husband, I think, is meant to be a big overgrown boy from the little bit I remember of what we hear about him. But the house was in her family. That's the point. It's not. It wasn't his family. It was her family that had been there all that time. The Forbeses that have had the estate all that time. Right, actually, I want to ask one question first, really, of both of you, because I haven't made up my mind on this. Is Audrey a really horrible person? I didn't think so, okay. but... No. Okay, right. Why do you say that she might be a horrible person? What do you base that on? Well, in this, doesn't she switch sides of an argument just because she thinks there might be the chance of getting up close with somebody who might end up titled? And she's... A frightful snob. Oh, yes, she's a snob. But, but she's not a horrible person, but she's got that kind of thing where she perhaps doesn't see the little people sometimes. She can't, Maybe she takes people for granted a little bit, like, like Marjorie and so forth. Gary, sitcom expert head on. Do you know anything about the history of this show? 
can't say that anything is immediately springing to mind. Part of me is just wondering, was anybody other than Penelope Keith in the frame for this? Oh, I see, I see. Um, not that I'm aware, no. I think this actually was... Did this show not come out of a desire to have a vehicle for That's Penelope what I'm thinking. Keith it's like... The good life. They've taken all the bits of Margot that people like and then made them authentic. <laughs> Take out the social climbing aspect, that kind of softens the character a little bit. But yes, it did just feel like a semi spin off of the good life. I mean, you did raise this issue of Audrey's likability to me. I don't know if this would still have been legal in 1979, but I mean, she's got servants. There's no getting away from that. She's got like, you know, people around who do the bits and pieces. And I think I did suggest that if she was to physically keep them in check in some way, perhaps with like the poker from the fireplace or like an old-fashioned carpet beater or anything like that, if she was to use any implements in making sure that they all did their work on time, that that would probably lose sympathy with the audience. But she's not going to use those on Brabinger. On Ned, who technically doesn't work for anymore, it's going to be Angela Thorne's character who gets in the neck. You know, you said about the, the nanny problem as well. Is this all about Thatcher's Britain? We've got Thatcher, 1979. You know, strong woman, da da da. We all like seeing a strong woman on. On t- is that what it's about? I mean, I don't think it is. Well, no. The Thatcher's Britain is Richard Devere <laughs> with that lovely computer that he had. <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose he's vulgar, isn't he? Vulgar money in that, isn't he? Mm. Yes, he's new money. Yeah, he doesn't understand yeah. the old ways. Do you not actually like this program, Tilt? I didn't enjoy this episode. I've definitely watched it many, many times in the past. Oh, Tillerman, that'll do. It's not something I'm hugely enthusiastic, but I thought, why am I not enjoying this? Because I know I've enjoyed the show before, so I think we just picked a duff episode. Because this is one where Audrey's a hypocrite. But I also wanted to put the most jaded thing on it so that nobody could say that we didn't at least think of it in those terms. And, And right now, let's all be terribly nice about everybody. Are there any actors who are substandard in this? No, I don't think so. Are there any actors who are absolutely fantastic in this? Pretty much everybody. They're also believable. There's no duds in it at all. I don't know what what came out when people were voting on it, but really when you think about it, it's pretty well-crafted because it's got the uh, the will-they-won't-they character art going on as well, which I think think it's almost perfect, actually. See, Audrey is a hypocrite and a snob. Do you know, it's not so much the hypocrisy. It's more that she knew that um, the, the protesters, it was pointless because things had been sorted out and she didn't think to let them know. It was more not so much the hypocrisy for me. It was more that she just kind of forgot about the, the little people. That was the bit. But I kind of forgave her for that because that's just her character. That's my point. That was the point I was leading up to. She is a hypocrite and a snob. But any time that really comes up, any time we're confronted with it, the reaction... I mean, some of the laughs in the audience seem to be a bit annoying. It's, ah, that's our Audrey. It's really successful in selling that. And I don't think they're pulling a stunt on us. It's not not a case of, uh, let's show these little people in the audience their place and make them like it. No, it's probably written fairly instinctively. There's a vision of the character and they're able to mould it. I think one of the things is that she's just... Penelope Keith is just really likeable. It's like executive stress, we talked about that. She's just one of those actresses, well, for me anyway, I like watching her. Uh, she does what she does very, very well. And you've got Peter Bowles there. He's also someone that's just very watchable. So I think if maybe if it was cast somebody else playing her, it wouldn't have worked. In executive stress, you see, Penelope Keith was being likeable. <laughs> Penelope Keith was Gary. Isn't the term carry job? 
Penelope <laughs> Keith and Jeffrey Palmer were carrying executive stress, whereas Into the Man Born, all the supports in there, the writings there, the supporting cast, everything is playing to everybody's strengths. It's not that she's not pulling her weight, but everything is just made to make sure we get the maximum impact from all the good things. Now, history could have been so different had things worked out differently. Because do all of you happen to know who the original Devere would have been? Give us a clue. Give us a clue. I think this will surprise you. The original idea, because initially this was devised as a radio series, but then ended up making it on television. And the original idea was that it wasn't going to be an entrepreneur of Czechoslovakian descent, but it would actually be an American who would come in. So does that make it any easier to, to, to hazard a guess? I don't think you'll guess it, but it is quite surprising. Bernard Braden. You see, I kind of was thinking, if it's an American, they're definitely going to get a Canadian. <laughs> Those are the rules. <laughs> I don't know who Bernard Braden is. Before that's live, Fester Ranson, you've got Bernard Braden doing sort of consumer shows and what have you. On the Braden Beaton and what have you. This is an actor? Well, yes, but also he was... Uh, all all well British television presenters of a certain generation were actors and the newsreaders as well. Okay, oh, let me go see. You carry on talking, I'm going to look him up. See, I'll tell you if it would have worked. So Gary, Ed Bishop, I think that would have worked. Very likeable actor. Yes, yeah, I can picture that. Oh, oh, I know him. Oh. So would there have been a song by Jake Thackeray as well in the middle of every show? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. That wouldn't have worked at all. He's, I can't no, he's see it either. He's in black and white. No, his face is wrong. No, okay, no, good. Right, that wouldn't have worked. That is my that is my opinion. Okay, so what is it about this show, and I'm sort of putting you on the spot here without really offering anything myself, but what is it about this show that means that it's successful with the general public, whereas in, in the wrong hands, something that was concentrated on the goings-on of the upper classes might not f- come across at all. Is, is it the will they won't they? Is that the central thing, do you think? Don't underestimate the womanicity of it all. <laughs> is that a word? No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. The womanicity. Yeah, no, you're right. Have a strong female character. Absolutely. That's probably part of the appeal. The will they won't they. Peter Bowles is dishy. And having him being an immigrant, there's just ways of privilege is a much abused word now. I mean, there is a point behind the ideas of checking privilege, but there is always that risk that it then just becomes something used as a shortcut instead of proper discourse. But if you want to look at this, there's the way that all the privileged characters have their privilege qualified. The rich, successful businessman came from nothing, and he loves his mother. He's Robert Maxwell again, isn't he? Wasn't he Czechoslovakian? It was one thing that really worked well when they brought it back. I mean, the one-off was not fantastic television, but at least they paid attention to their surroundings and said, right, Eastern European immigration, that's a big thing. Let's make that a component of it. That was a smart bit of business for the what year was that? 2007. I was quite surprised when they announced that it was coming back, but it made sense as a one-off. I don't know that it necessarily would have had the legs for a further series. It was nice to revisit it. It was nice to see what had transpired in the previous, what was it then, 25 years? Were they still together? That's the main thing. Well, they, they were at the beginning and the end. There was a little bit in the middle. Though. And there were like references to Big Brother and, oh, was there a reference to Bird Flu? I can't remember. 
think I pointed to the lack of references to bird flu, and then somebody mentioned there had been one. It's like it was on Christmas and probably unwrapping a sweet. Okay, now, do we think that this could have worked on the big screen? And I have a reason for actually asking this. What, done in one, even with 90 minutes to two hours? Mm. See, typically, big screen outings, the standard thing seems to be take them out of their environment, doesn't it? Send them on a holiday, things like that. And I can't imagine... that is. Quite a common thing, isn't it? Because it also gives is you it? the uh, the budget. Well, yeah. In- Name three. Oh, okay. Um, the Inbetweeners. Um, I'll come back to you in a minute on that. Um, oh, no, sorry. Okay. A big screen outings in general then. So like the Sweeney went, um, didn't they go over? No, no they no, didn't. They did it. Did it. Okay, they went, they went abroad. The Sweeney's Hawaiian vacation. That was good. Oh, see, I'm sure I was on good ground, but obviously I'm not. But I guess I think you'd have to make it bigger, don't you? And one way to make it bigger is taking them to a different location. And I can't imagine Audrey and um, Richard being out of that environment. It wasn't you we were picking on. It was something Mark Gatiss said. And I think he was talking more about classic sitcom to movie transfers. And it just seemed like, yes, right. Are you being served? And then... Holiday on the buses, maybe, but it's not like there's a lot of screen to screen transfers that don't do that. I mean, Man About the House, Rising Damp, George and Mildred, they go to a hotel. But this idea that every sitcom to screen thing was like they all go to Spain just seems to be a bit of a lazy idea. How dare you? Um, no, good, good point, good point. No, you just, oh, it's, it's not your fault. You just didn't notice the barbed wire we had around that idea. The reason I asked about the possibility of it transferring to the big screen is because it was supposed to. It was announced in 1980 that it was going to be a film, but then the rank film organisation pulled out, and so to the manor born on the big screen never happened. But there we go. In the old days, on the you know on the buses and rising damp and stuff like that, I guess you could do the uh, just a straight screen to screen transfer. And just make it longer, basically, because there weren't really any alternatives, were they? But now you, you have to get people out of the house to go and watch the movie or to download or something. So you've got to do something a bit bigger, haven't you? You couldn't just do a, a straight, let's just make a, a longer episode and put it on the big screen. It wouldn't work, would it? You'd have to have some kind of hook. Okay, well, here's, here's an idea. Instead of putting them abroad or anything like that, could we instigate some sort of situation in which Audrey is amongst working class people? For an extended period of time. How, how ghastly. Well, this is the thing. <laughs> I mean, okay, so De Vere's background is in the supermarket business. So could we find some situation where, for whatever convoluted reason, oh. Audrey finds herself in the tills for a week or something like that? Undercover millionaire. Well, maybe, yeah. Oh, a reality yeah. show. They, maybe a reality, they do a reality show or something. Actually, she'd be fine. She's proper upper class. She would be absolutely fine with working class people in, in interacting with them, I think. It's genuinely upper class people get on fine with the working classes. It's the snobby, not really, they haven't been born into it, who, who have difficulty with that. I think she'll be fine. But I wouldn't put it in stacking shelves, for God's sake. What a thing. That'd be mean. No, I wasn't being mean. I was just saying that it could have been like one of those bloody awful 70s films where the character has to do something for a week in order to win a bet or something. I'd like the undercover idea. I like that. The, the idea is you kind of have to transport them out of their natural environment somewhere, don't they? So we could send her to Scotland. She could find out that she's got these crofters' cottages she has to do something with, I don't know. And then she could meet lots of characters, couldn't she? So she'd be a fish out of water, but it wouldn't be because of the class thing. It could be just because it's different. 
You've got a nice scenery too. You've got a nice scenery. So maybe not Scotland. Maybe we'll send it to Ireland. (laughs) Sorry, what was that? We need nice scenery, so not Scotland. I meant Glasgow. But no, um, typically, what do they do with the Doctor series? What do they do with Afghanistan? Send them to Australia. Ah. Because Australians don't have a class system and they're all vulgar. That'd be great. We're talking about these ideas of taking it out of its comfort zone. I have a feeling that a To the Man Born movie would have been like Rising Damp. They would have just told the story all over again. Is there more than one? Is, is Rising Damp the only one? Oh, Dad's Army. I think it would have taken the reboot route, maybe hoped for an American market that might not have been too familiar. All those Americans who don't watch PBS. I think that's how To the Man Born movie would have turned out. And I just also want to mention Batman again. <laughs> Prappinger's writing fanfic in his head, isn't he? There's that bit where they think that Richard Devere might get a title. We are watching an episode called The Honours List. And he starts going, Lady Devere. That's something Alfred did in the Batman comics. He was writing fanfiction about Bruce Wayne. He used to tell these stories about things that couldn't happen without disrupting continuity. So they said, it's just Alfred. That's disturbing. Also, we didn't mention um, the lecture at the beginning about Save Our Nation's Hedgerows was given by... David Garth, Mr. Geraldine Newman, Hilda in ever-decreasing circles. Uh She's married to him. Okay, so do we have a general opinion then? Which class is best represented in sitcom? Middle. Do you mean represented more or more accurately or the best comedies? I would say, yeah, not volume, but in terms of, generally speaking, a proper, correct, accurate representation. Middle. Yeah, I think so. And is this because... The people making the shows are predominantly from a middle-class background, do we think? Yeah, they know what they're talking about, don't they? <clears throat> and it's hard to do the working class without being patronising as well, isn't it? They also, they're torn between two different directions. They can have airs and graces, try and pretend to be more important, more high-class than they are and look foolish, or they can be reminded of humble roots and look foolish. Working-class person, well, I, mean, I suppose you've got... Uh, Harold Steptoe, with his pretensions. But basically, you can't go below a certain level of class behaviour if you're middle class without suddenly changing your identity. You can't go above a certain level without looking foolish. So there's just maybe more possibilities, at least if you're just wanting to bash the ideas out week after week. There are more easy possibilities. And people are more likely to recognise, I suppose... Uh, or think they recognise themselves in in what's going on to a degree, I guess. I'm going to put out a controversial suggestion. Best class-based sitcom of all. Keeping up appearances. Oh, I thought you were saying trouble in mind. She's got aspirations, hasn't she, to be above her station. You've got the working class represented in there as well, haven't you? And the great divide between them. Yeah, with too much falling in a hedge every week. It's not Miranda, for goodness sake. Roy Clark's capable of better. It's been very enjoyable having a look at all these different classes. And maybe, Birdie, if you're up for it, we could at some point have a look at, say, subdivisions of the classes. So say, for example, you mentioned the doctor books, so things like medical class, for example, because I suspect that there's probably a lot more strands than just working. Oh, we could just have you on for just the laugh of it. We don't have to have you as like our class consultant. Indeed, indeed. Oh, isn't that sweet? I'll be your woman consultant. Your bird. (laughs) Is there anything you're desperate to talk about? Is there any particular broad topic or something specific that you think fits within either the sitcom club or Jaffa Cakes of Proust you'd like to join us for? Well, you know, back in the 90s, 
when Friends started. I know it's an American sitcom. I'll say that. And um, then things got very friendly for a while, didn't they? Something about how particular sitcoms have influenced what's come after them. That could be interesting. Because there there's been, after Friends, there became a lot of things, American and English, of people in rooms talking to each other, like coupling and two pints of lager, things like that. So one sitcom has a big effect on the viewing public in terms of popularity and suddenly the networks all want a show like that. Yeah, I don't know, maybe Seinfeld might be, be one of those ones that um, had that influence as well. Well, certainly post-Seinfeld there were a lot of sitcoms which were starring vehicles for stand-up comics and some more successful than oh, all. You know, because watch Bedeal Syndrome. I've never seen that. But The Office, you know, that had that influence on that kind of um, mockumentary style, didn't that? You could say that even now, 15 years later, it still continues to have, to a lesser degree than it did, but it still has an effect on sitcoms and, and even advertising and things like that. Why have, uh, why have you not talked about uh, The Office? Because it's after the end of history for us. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it, it is. And also, it's one of those shows that's just been analysed to death. I don't know that, that we'd have anything to say about it. Anything with the BBC logo, which is the three white blocks with BBC and Gil Sense. Didn't happen as far as we're concerned. God, you're prejudiced against fonts, aren't you? It's what it represents. <laughs> that was the end. 1997, that's the new logo. That is when marketing's going to be in charge. That's when the continuity announcements are going to tell us what we think, and then the music's going to tell us what we think, and there might be a voiceover telling us what we think. That's when they start spoon-feeding us. That is the end of history. Basically, Tony Blair is what you're saying, isn't it? Blair's Britain. That's what happened. Eurovision Song Contest. We won in 97. UK did. Katrina and the Wales yes. won. Yeah. That was the point, but it was Blair's Britain indirectly was responsible for uh, Katrina and the Wales winning the Eurovision Song Contest. But it was also the year of OK Computer. and I don't know what that is. A bit, it's a Radiohead album. Oh, 1997 <laughs> is the cutoff point, and that means that we can't review Babes in the Wood with Carl Homan. So we've got to bear that in mind. Oh, my goodness. Can we do Game On as well? <laughs> Oh, God, no, no, no. Well, maybe what we finally need to do is do official sitcom club, hot or not. <laughs> and we can go through them all, and th that will be law. Well, okay, we'll start the ball rolling. Robert Lindsay. Oh, God, yes, Buddy. absolutely, absolutely. You know that. We talked about this. Well, yeah, I deliberately threw that one out because I knew it would get a, He's a, a hot. But he, I saw him the other day. I was watching um, Netflix and I was watching the second series of Extras when he appears in that. When he's talking like he, his normal voice, it's a bit like the Nicholas Lyndhurst effect. You know, Nicholas Lyndhurst's voice is actually posh. It is the voice he uses in new tricks. But you've heard him so often as Rodney, you can't believe he's not putting it on. Robert Lindsay always sounds like he's putting on his posh accent. I know he's not, but... um. Yeah, his voice is a bit much, but... Okay, okay. F fair exchange. Give us a woman each and we'll tell you whether they're hot or not. Um, Susie Blake. Hot. Neris Hughes. Yes. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> That's enough. Otherwise, it gets a bit too laddish. <laughs> but hang on, we've been accused of being too laddish anyway, so we might as well just give the public what they expect. Brody, it's been a joy, as ever. And yes, I'm sure we shall speak to you again soon on the sitcom clubs. But in the meantime, Tilt, thank you very much Goodbye. for your attendance. And we should be back very soon. Actually, we'll probably be back in July because that's the time that the BBC are doing all these sitcom revivals and what have you. So Sitcom Club will probably be back in July or thereabouts. And of course, keep an eye on at Sitcom Club on Twitter and also Javas for Proust on Twitter because that'll be where we're back next. So in the meantime, 
Thank you very much indeed to yourselves for listening to the Sitcom Club.